0: Hello, my name is Ernest, and if you've been following these podcasts in real time, you'll know that it's been a while since I last posted an episode. There's a good reason for that. A great one, actually. I've been turning the podcasts into a book. It's called How to End the Stories that Screw Up Your Life, a step-by-step guide to the amazing process of self-inquiry. The good news is that it's finished. It'll be coming out on Amazon in a few weeks as an ebook, a paperback, and an audiobook. The great news is that you can get a copy of the ebook for free. All you have to do is go to my website and sign up for it. Then I'll send you an email when the book comes out, which will be in September 2018, and you can go to the Amazon website and download it at no cost. Simply go to www.theartofbeinghuman.com endthestories to sign up and you'll be all set. And for those who can't wait, here are the first couple of chapters of the audiobook version. How to End the Stories that Screw Up Your Life A Step-by-Step Guide to the Amazing Process of Self-Inquiry Written and Narrated by Ernest Holm Svensson Introduction Your life is a story. Or, more precisely, your life is a thousand stories. Stories about your past and future Stories about others and how you relate to them. Stories about who you are and what you can and cannot do. Some of these stories are great. They bring peace and joy and happiness. They empower you and fill you with kindness and a sense of purpose. Others are not so great. They hurt. They get in your way. They stop you from doing what you want. They bring limitations, frustrations, stress... Fear, sorrow, and pain. And as we shall see, even the great ones can, in fact, get in your way too. This book is about how to undo those limiting and painful stories. It's a presentation of the power of inquiry with concrete, step-by-step instructions on how to free yourself from the illusion of your thoughts and return to the effortless joy of simply being present in your life and I share them not based on theory or speculation, but from experience. For more than 25 years, it's been my privilege to support people in finding freedom from their beliefs. I've worked with individuals from every part of the world and all walks of life. I've worked with former prostitutes, recovering addicts, cancer patients, and people suffering from phobias, burnout, and eating disorders. I've worked with high-level politicians and government officials, award-winning journalists, CEOs in some of the most successful companies in the world, Olympic athletes, popular actors and star football coaches. Most of my clients, though, have been completely normal people with completely normal jobs. People who have difficulties in their marriage, who are frustrated with their boss, who want to be better parents, who feel overburdened at work who find it hard to say no, who are worried about their families, their finances, their career and their health. Human beings who feel caught in the hamster wheel of modern life and who want to be in the world in another way, a way that is kinder, more spontaneous, joyful and sincere. Over the years, I've conducted hundreds of workshops, in-depth programs and retreats. I've done thousands of hours of one-on-one sessions with clients, and I've been through rigorous training programs myself, experimenting with many different tools and approaches to working with the mind. What I've found are a number of paths that can take us home to the joyful awareness that I experience to be our true nature. In this book, I share the essence of one of the simplest, most accessible, and effective of these paths – in the most concrete and direct way I know how. When we are caught in painful stories, we usually react by attempting to change something out there. We try to change the others. We try to change our circumstances. We try to change our boss, our partner, our parents, our children, our body, our wardrobe, our diet, or whatever we think is causing the pain. For many of us, in fact, that's the very purpose of our lives, to make everything just right so we can be happy. And the idea makes perfect sense. If we made more money, found the right home and the right partner, got the kids to behave just the way they should, convinced our aging parent to see the right doctor, got a promotion, lost the excess weight, got a new car, found a better yoga class and a new hairdresser, then we would finally be able to enjoy life. It could be true. The problem is, it isn't very likely to happen. And even if it miraculously did, it isn't very likely to persist. Sooner or later, and probably sooner rather than later, something would shift. The perfect partner would leave, the aging parent would die, the job would end, the kids would get into trouble, the car would break down, the hairdresser would quit and we'd be back to square one. So yes, in theory, it could be true. But in practice, trying to change the world to be happy is a hopeless strategy. In fact, in most cases, it has the exact opposite effect. It makes us miserable. It makes us feel incapable, anxious, and overwhelmed. It makes us stop trusting ourselves. It increases our desire for control, and it sets us up to fail. This book presents another way. A way that addresses the problem at its root. Rather than investing all that energy in the impossible task of trying to fix the world, we can focus directly on the stories themselves. Because the stories aren't real. They are interpretations. They are constructs in our minds based on a specific view of the world. And whenever this view changes our stories change as well. And when our stories change, we change. My purpose with this book is to share a concrete set of tools that enable you to wake up when you get caught by your painful or limiting thoughts to explain exactly why and how they work and to support you as you learn how to use them. And this is my promise to you. If you apply these tools, they will change your life. I'm not kidding, and I don't say this lightly. The material in this book has the potential to transform your life beyond anything you ever thought possible. I know, both from my own personal experience and because I've seen it happen to others more times than I can possibly count. I've seen people in deep depression, people suffering from burnout, people going through painful breakups, People who have lost children and spouses, jobs and wealth, health and security, return to life through this work. And not only return, expand. Grow. I've seen them undo their painful stories, throw off their shackles and step into the river of life, alive with love and the courage to overcome their challenges and limitations. More than that, I've yet to meet someone who wasn't able to apply these tools. Sure, I've met people who didn't want to, of course. This work takes a willingness to change and sometimes, for whatever reason, it's not the right time. But I've never met anyone who sincerely wanted to open their minds and hearts who was not able to. This is the power of inquiry. It's our birthright. It's available to all. It's as natural as breathing. And once we find it, our lives will never be the same. Who would you be without your stories? What would it be like to release your painful and limiting thinking about your past and future, about yourself and others, about what you must do and about what is and isn't possible for you? What would it be like to live from a place of trust and freedom and to meet the world and yourself from there? The process in this book is the end of your battle with life. It's the doorway to the peace, unconditional joy, and complete inner freedom that is the true aspiration of us all. There are such things as defining moments. Sometimes they are as simple as pressing play on an audiobook. I wish you a beautiful journey. Chapter 1. Finding Inquiry It was just a random sentence, a question that caught my eye on a printout in a pile of papers. What does the thought of I point to? Maybe it was the phrasing. Maybe it was the timing. All I know is I couldn't let it go. It wasn't that I hadn't considered it before. I imagine everyone asks themselves this question in one form or another now and then. Who am I? really but this time it was different this time i needed to know not in theory not as a concept or a diagram on a flip chart i wanted to know for myself in my own personal experience who am i as i began my search for an answer the first things i discovered were all the things i was not i was not my body My body changed all the time, and still I remained. I was also not my emotions. Emotions came and went, while my sense of me remained uninterrupted. Same with my thoughts. I discovered that I had a voice in my head, which was constantly talking, and in the beginning, I thought that might be me. But as I observed it more closely, I realized that it couldn't be. First, I wasn't in control of it, and second, it was often talking to me as if I were someone else. It would tell me what to do and even attack me at times, scolding me for things I'd done wrong. Most of the time, though, it was just expressing its opinions about everyone and everything while making plans and getting upset when life didn't deliver. It was the voice that led to my first breakthrough. I was getting really annoyed with it one day because it was repeating a phrase from a song over and over and I seemed incapable of stopping it when I suddenly realized that if I wasn't the voice, I had to be the one listening to the voice. And with that it dawned on me that the closest I could get to myself in this inner extravaganza of thoughts, feelings, images, sensations, daydreams, song snippets, and imagined conversations, was as the one who was aware of it all. Every minute, thoughts would come and go. Every day I would have emotional reactions that would completely evaporate after a few hours. But the one constant was the one who was witnessing all these inner events. I wasn't the voice. I was the one experiencing the voice. I turned my attention toward this inner observer, but it proved to be surprisingly difficult to pin it down. First there was a problem built into the very act of observing it, since it itself was the one observing. It was like trying to taste my taste buds, or seeing how I see but there was more to it than that. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't find a center in this inner awareness. If my thoughts and emotions were psychological objects, this aware consciousness was the space in which they existed. But the space itself was completely empty. There was never any resistance or movement or even boundaries to it. It was just there, allowing everything to come and go, aware of all of it, yet completely unaffected. Then one summer's evening, I was walking along the shores of a lake near my house. There was a light drizzle, and I was considering what the it is that is raining when it rains. It seemed to be a trick of grammar that creates this illusion of a doer of the rain. Outside of language... Raining is a complete process on its own with no it doing anything. And that's when it struck me. What if the process of being aware was the same? I had been looking for the subject, the it, the me who was aware. What if there isn't anyone who's aware, but there is only awareness itself? I went inside to check and was overwhelmed with a huge sense of clarity and peace. It was so obvious. Because of my cultural background, I had taken it for granted that there would be a center in there somewhere. That there was a core, a soul, a subject, an eye. But there wasn't. At the eye of the storm, there was only a quiet emptiness. I was simply awareness itself. This discovery brought tremendous joy, and I drifted in a sense of inner peace for days. It may sound strange that finding no one at my center would make me happy, but the space of awareness behind all the noise of my thoughts and emotions is the most amazing place. It's home. It's presence. It's peace and clarity and stillness and a sense that everything just as it is, is entirely and perfectly enough. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I find that everyone has a reference for this experience in their own lives. Times when they have felt the same overwhelming sense of peace and contentment with things exactly the way they are. It's like being filled with a flow of inner sunlight. It's love, really, inside and out. In my experience, it's who we are, it's our true nature, and it's vast and wonderful. So wonderful, in fact, that once we realize it, there's no way we are ever going to want to leave. As such, I would love to be able to say that I didn't. I would love to be able to say that I lived happily ever after in this constant state of bliss always and forever appreciating life in any form it showed up, clearly seeing that since I'm not my thoughts and emotions, since I'm that in which all thoughts and emotions play out, nothing ever bothered me again. Ever. But, alas, after an initial search of peace, my apparent problems came back. It wasn't that I ever lost what I had found. Since it wasn't theory for me, since I had experienced it directly, my newfound understanding remained within me, and whenever I sat down to relax or meditate, or went for a quiet walk with my dog, I would naturally return to this place of inner peace and awareness. But every time I returned, sooner or later, something would pull me back out. I would become frustrated because something didn't work, or I would feel hurt because someone rejected me, or some other story would play out and I would lose myself again. The cycle was always the same. My mind would be resting peacefully at my center of awareness, and I would be feeling grateful, present, and content. Then some thought would hit me. Often it would be caused by an outer event, but it could also come up from my memory or as an effect of some other part of the inner flow of my mind. Whatever it was, if I didn't pay attention, it would suck me in. Someone would say no to me, and in a nanosecond, I would be fully identified as the rejected one, or the misunderstood one, or the disrespected one. There were so many identities. And the moment I stepped into one of them, that me became my entire world. It was a lot like being at the movies. As you enter the theater, you're fully conscious of yourself. You find your seat and settle in. You take in your surroundings and the people around you. You're present and aware. Then the movie starts. At first you're still there, sitting in your seat, watching the screen. But as the movie progresses, your attention is drawn further and further into the action. And in the final scene, when the heroine makes her daring escape along the roof of the speeding train, you've completely forgotten about being at the cinema. You've forgotten about the others, the seats, the screen, the popcorn. Your attention is fully drawn into the unfolding story. Your emotions responding to the trials of the heroine as she overcomes the challenges and justice prevails, and then the final kiss and the end credits begin. And you find yourself back in your seat, realizing you really need to use the bathroom and that you've eaten way too much popcorn. I'm sure you recognize this as well. Getting lost in stories seem to be what we humans do. Take this example. Your doctor has been examining you, and with a concerned expression on his face, he says that he's unsure what to make of your symptoms. There is a risk that it's cancer, but he needs to run some more tests. What happens? You're shocked. You have difficulties hearing the rest of what he says. As you drive home, images flash past of you in a hospital bed, you saying goodbye, your family in tears. You cannot focus on the game that night. Your sleep is restless, and you wake up early. Over the weekend, you're distracted and cross. Your stomach is in knots. You experience everything at a distance. You're impatient with the kids. You can't concentrate on your work. You replay the conversation with the doctor over and over in your mind. And when it's finally time to call him for the results, you're so convinced your life is over, you can hardly hear it when he says that everything is fine. It seems to be an integral part of the human experience to live this way. We do it all the time. In fact, I'll be making the point that most of your life is a story. Or a dream, if you prefer the more poetic version. Which wouldn't be a problem if it was a good dream. But it isn't. It's the cause of all the suffering in the world. Exercise sucked into stories. Try this little experiment. Sit down quietly, close your eyes, and focus on your breathing. That's all you have to do. Simply sit there, eyes closed, with your full attention on this moment, experiencing your breath. In, out, in, out. And now, see how long you can stay focused in the here and now before your mind travels. It won't be long before you discover yourself replaying a conversation you had earlier today or trying to figure out why the heater is making a noise or planning your vacation. When you realize that you've traveled somewhere, come back to your breath and try again. Before you know it, you're sitting on the swing in your kindergarten playground, or reliving the argument you had with your daughter last week. Thoughts come and go all by themselves, and some of them take us with them to far-off places in time and space. It is surprisingly difficult to simply stay present and attentive here and now. When you're lost in a story, any story, It will inevitably lead to pain. With some stories, that's obvious. Take the I'm seriously ill story from before, or any of the classics like They Don't Like Me, or I Did It Wrong, or I Need More Money. With other stories, it's less obvious. The I'm a nice person story, for instance. That would seem like a really good story. It makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside, and what's wrong with being a nice person? Well, nothing, obviously. Only, if that's our story about ourselves, sooner or later it will get in the way. If nice is who I am, what do I do in the situations when I'm required to be not so nice? When I must say a very clear no to someone, or I must let someone off at work, or I can't satisfy the needs of someone who's important to me. When a conflict arises between being perceived as nice and being true to myself, then what? Stories make us inflexible. Stories get in the way. Because they are never true, sooner or later all stories lead to a conflict with life. And when you're at war with life, you lose. So this was my new world. I had found a deep insight into who I was, But I kept forgetting it and losing myself in the myriads of stories that were playing out all the time. And I could see that everyone else was the same. When my friends came to me for help or support, I could hear how deeply they were caught in painful concepts, how they were spinning stories from their interpretations of what someone said or did, and how they were absorbed in their dreams of past and future, completely ignoring that they were safe and secure in the present. As I began looking for ways out of these psychological gravity wells, I remembered that when I was a child, I found a trick to handle scary movies. Whenever I felt too overwhelmed by what was happening, I would think about how the people behind the scenes had made the movie, how the blood wasn't real blood, and how there was an entire crew standing around the actors with lights and microphones and cameras, and that would always calm me down. It would take me out of the illusion and bring me back to myself and my surroundings. I gradually realized that I could do something similar with my inner movies. That they too were constructs, crafted by my unconscious to achieve specific goals, and behind the scenes of my conscious mind, a lot was going on to produce and uphold the world I was living in. And, more importantly, I discovered that whenever I peeked past the curtain at the machinery behind, the stories I was so certain were true would dissolve into thin air. There were two questions that interested me. One, how do I get out of a story once I'm in it? And two, how do I take the energy out of it so it doesn't suck me back in next time it shows up? The answer to both questions turned out to be the same. When you deeply examine, not in theory, but through your own direct experience, the elements that go into your stories, they lose their hold on you. It's like experiencing a magic trick. Imagine a skilled magician who performs a card trick that completely astounds you. Imagine that he then explains to you in detail how he carries it out, demonstrating how he diverts your attention and, with an elegant sleight of hand, swaps one card for another. And then imagine that he performs the trick for you again. Will your experience be the same this time? No. Because now you understand how he pulls it off. You can appreciate the quality of his performance and the precision of his movements, but you no longer fall for the illusion. Even though he's doing everything exactly as before, your insight into what's really going on causes you to have a very different inner experience. That's how inquiry works. It's a way of getting your perspective back, of loosening the hold the dream has on your mind by seeing how it's constructed. I honestly don't know how to express the positive impact the practice of inquiry has had on my life. Fewer and fewer stories have the power to pull me in, and when they do, I know how to find my way back. The peace and joy this has brought to me are beyond words. And since it's been my business for years now to support others in doing the same, I've been blessed with the privilege of experiencing countless clients and participants go through the same amazing transformation. In its simple step-by-step form, the process of inquiry is life-changing. But only if you do it, of course. The entire point of self-inquiry is to make your own discoveries. As such, my intent with this book is practice. Everything I say is geared toward that one purpose, to show you exactly how to do inquiry on your own, enabling you to work effectively with your limiting stories and the elements of your thinking that are causing you pain, holding you back, or getting in your way. To this aim, I'll be focusing on a particular form of inquiry called The Work of Byron Katie. And let me add that The Work of Byron Katie and the Judge Your Neighbor worksheet we'll be using later are both copyrights of Byron Katie International Incorporated, and I use them here with permission. I have experimented with many different approaches over the years, and in my experience, the work is by far the best place to start. It is clearly structured, it's relatively simple, it doesn't require for the practitioner to accept any dogmas, and it has been tested and refined by the experiences of tens of thousands of people over more than 3 decades. So the journey ahead is a simple one, and I've split it into 3 parts. In part 1, we cover the basics i will try to show you how this thing you call reality is really your own construction and that the built-in contradictions and mistaken interpretations that make up this so-called reality are the true causes of whatever stress pain and frustration you experience in part two we'll look at what i call your map of reality and how it's the beliefs that make up your map of reality that are the pivotal elements in making any real changes in your life. And in part three, we'll turn to practice, and I will walk you through a detailed explanation of how to use the work to see through the stories that are moving you away from freedom, joy, and peace. I can promise you an exciting journey. With a little luck, in fact, you may well be standing on the threshold of a completely new understanding of your life. And it begins very simply. It begins with the most important thing there is to say about anything. You've been listening to the first chapters of how to End the Stories that Screw Up Your Life, a step-by-step guide to the amazing process of self-inquiry by Ernest Holmes-Svenson. Find the entire audiobook on Audible or get hold of the ebook or the print version on Amazon. The work of Byron Katie is copyright by Byron Katie International Incorporated. You can read more on www.thework.com. For more podcasts like this one, visit theartofbeinghuman.com. And feel free to contact me if you have any questions or comments to this podcast. You can find my contact information at theartofbeinghuman.com or you can simply send an email to ernest at theartofbeinghuman.com. Thank you for listening.